Hey, glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Glad you made the effort to be here. Let me start us off with a word of prayer tonight. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for today. We're thankful for a new day. We're thankful for uh, a day that we can see you, that we can know you, that we can, we can grow in you. We're thankful uh, that today, whatever we're facing, whatever we brought in here, uh, that you are gracious, uh, that you are kind, that you are powerful, uh, that you see us, that you know us, that you love us, and that we have hope right now that, that's well-founded, that we have peace uh, that endures that the world can't take away from us, uh, that we have eternity uh, settled, finished, fixed in the person of Christ, and that, and that in all things that we can look to you and, and trust in you and you're trustworthy. I pray tonight as we come to study your word, I pray that you would lead us. I pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would guide us and bless us. I pray for uh, the, the, the kids' classes that are meeting tonight as I do every single week, that you would be uh, the foundation that is, that is stacked, that is placed, that is built and that will endure. And I pray that your word is made clear and accessible to them. I pray for our youth uh, tonight, the same thing, that you would grow them, build them, equip them in a world that would, that would, that would quickly snatch your truth away from them uh, to their despair. And so, Lord, we just come trust them to you. I pray for our, our adult classes be, be, again, the focus of what we do tonight. Help us to grow in your word. I pray for these that have come tonight into this class. I pray... For those that are, that are listening on the internet other ways, I pray that you would bless all of us in your study and that we would be better equipped disciples of Christ when we end our time together tonight. Lord, we tell you we thank you and we love you and we worship you. And I pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are on our 59th lesson. Uh, we've moved into the New Testament. We've had a lesson on the introduction to uh, the New Testament. We had an introduction to the Gospels. And now we're moving into the actual New Testament itself. When you think about that, how, how do you start the New Testament? All the things that are happening, all the things that are going to be reported, uh, how would you start the New Testament? How would you open? Well, God opens up with the account of John the Baptist. John the Baptizer, I think when I preached through John, I called him John, John the Testifier. Uh, but, but God starts off with this account. So that's going to be our study, the 59th lesson, uh, John the Baptizer. Our verses, if, if you want to go back and look at these, these are where it's found. It's on your worksheet, Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 24. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 has the account. Luke chapter 3 has the account. You can look at that. There's a whole bunch of verses. We're going to look at uh, some that we pull out of that, but those are the verses that build the context of our lesson tonight on John the Baptist. Now, the key point tonight, John the Baptist came as the prophesied forerunner before the promised Messiah. God promised to send his Savior, his Messiah, but he also promised to send a forerunner before the coming of the Messiah. Uh, his mission was to prepare people to receive the Savior. Uh, for that role that he carries out, his faithfulness to it, uh, Jesus actually says he's the greatest person. He says, uh, ever born of a woman, the greatest is John the Baptist. And so for his role of preparing people to see Christ and then his faithfulness to that role, 
Uh, he is called the greatest ever by Jesus himself. All right, we're going to go through our worksheet. The first part of our worksheet, the first part of our study tonight is called the, fir- the Faithful First Act. The Faithful First Act. Uh, all right, we've, we've, we've crossed over the 400 years of silence, and so there's been 400 years where God hasn't spoken uh, in a way that is recorded. Uh, we've been through many, many years of waiting, and so it's more actually than the 400 years. There's been folks that have been waiting for Christ, for the coming of a Savior for a long period, but now we've crossed through the 400 years of silence. We've passed through many, many years of waiting, and now God moves into action setting the immediate stage for the coming of Christ. Now, I want to be careful. The stage for the coming of Christ was set over hundreds of years. During the 400 years, uh, the conditions are set for the spread of the gospel, for the coming of Christ. But now the immediate stage for the coming of Christ is set. Uh, The first act of the New Testament record is God sending his promised forerunner. Next week, we're going to talk about uh, the genealogy, the lineage. There's some words Uh, that we find in the New Testament. But the first act of the New Testament is God sending his promised forerunner to prepare uh, the hearts of his people for the coming of Jesus. Now, I want to go back and I want to read the verses where he had promised this. And so I'm going to go back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then moving over to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. says this, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Those are the two references in the book of Malachi. I'm going to go back to Isaiah chapter 40 and read to you verses 3 through 5. Isaiah chapter 40, this is about 700 years before the start of the New Testament, the fulfillment in John the Baptist. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Uh, Verse 5, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Isaiah says, uh, make smooth the road, make easy the way, straight the path. Uh, clear the way for the coming of Jesus. And so that is how, again, 400 and something years, 700 years before the coming of Christ, before the coming of John the Baptist, that is what God says. He is going to send a forerunner. He's going to send somebody to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Well, I want you to consider this. In just the opening account of the New Testament, God basically demonstrates and shouts that he is faithful. What he said he would do, he's done it. What he promised he would do, he has done it. So we're not even to the birth of Christ yet. We're not even to all the awesome things that have come, but just in the opening account, he has made it clear. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. He makes a promise you can take it to the bank, and he shows us we can trust him. What he said he would do, he has done. 
Now, especially in the day that we're living in, but really in all times, I want you to consider, I want you to think about something big here. Think about what the coming of a forerunner says about God and says about his gospel. He sends a forerunner to prepare people to receive Christ. What does that say about God? What does that say about his gospel? What does that say about the good news? Here's what it says. He wants people to see Christ. He wants them to hear about Christ. He wants them to know about Christ. And he wants them to respond in faith and receive Christ. He is sending a Savior, yes, but I want to tell you, grace on top of grace, he wants us to know the Savior. He wants us to recognize the Savior. He doesn't want us to go, I didn't know who that was. He wants the Savior known. He wants it to be clear. He wants us to receive the good news of the gospel. And so the bottom line is sending the forerunner is a gracious, kind, and loving thing on the part of God. He wants us to know, to see, to recognize, to understand, and to receive Jesus in faith. So sending a Savior, that's an act of, of tremendous, unknown, uh, un immeasurable grace. So is sending a forerunner. He wants us to, to receive Christ, and so he makes smooth uh, the way to understand Christ. I was thinking about that. It's a, it's a goofy thing. Um, I don't know when it started, but somewhere it started maybe the last 20 years, um, but when you invite people to things, um, I grew up when if you're getting married, you marry, you mail out an invitation. I'm getting married, come to this. Now we have uh, save the date cards. And so I know when I'm going to get married, you're going to get an invitation, but before you get an invitation, I'm going to send you a card that says save the date. Now, why do you send a save the date card? Only because you want people to actually come. And so, hey, we're planning this great thing, and I want to make sure you got room on your calendar, and I want to make sure you don't miss it. And so you're preparing them for the invitation that's to come. In a, in, a, in a weird way, that's very similar to what he does in the sending of a forerunner. He wants you to know. He wants you to see. He wants you to understand who Christ is, so he sends uh, the forerunner. So the first faithful act of the New Testament, God does what he said he would do, and we have the forerunner announcing uh, making way the, the way for the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, the, the second thing on our worksheet is a supernatural start. A supernatural start. Uh, John the Baptist is sent by God. Uh, his, we're going to read a whole bunch of stuff here. His coming, his start, shows God's intricate involvement in the coming of Jesus. Uh, not only in the coming of Jesus, but even in the coming of the forerunner. So, uh, this is an awesome event, we, the miraculous birth of Jesus, praise the Lord, but this is another miraculous birth of, of John the Baptist. These are not ordinary events, this is not an ordinary person. And so God is involved in the coming of John the Baptist, it is an intricate thing, uh, it is a unique thing. I'm going to turn over to Luke. Chapter 1. Verses 5 through 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah and his wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly 
in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. And so she's in an age where she's not able to have kids. They are barren. They are both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, he's carrying out his priestly duty at the temple According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. Zacharias questions, he doubts. Uh, the angel says, you're not going to be able to talk until the, the son is born. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. All right, jumping over to verses 57 through 66. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father, but his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And when they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, follows His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open and his tongue was loose. And he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them. 
And these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept in mind saying, what then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. All right, now think about that. A miraculous account, a marvelous account, a well-known, those people around him saw this account. And the question there becomes, why do you think his birth is so unordinary? It could have just been, hey, uh, this guy uh, had a son, his name was John, and John is going to be a prophet. Uh, why do you think it is so uh, unordinary? What would God's purpose be in this miraculous birth? And I, I thought about that, and I really considered that and spun around that, and the only answer I could come up with, he wanted it to be unordinary, so it would be unordinary. He didn't want it to be known as a normal thing, and I think he wanted to draw attention is the same reason He's sending a forerunner that people would take notice. I think this is an awesome event, an unordinary event to draw attention in. And so I think it's for that reason. All right, the next section, prepare ye the way. All right, the Messiah is coming. Uh, Jesus will soon be born, and his work of salvation is going to unfold. We're going to study that. We're going to see that as we progress through the gospel accounts. John is given the mission of preparing the people to receive their Savior, all right? He was sent for this purpose. His purpose is made very clear. Well, now he's here, and he has the mission uh, to prepare the way for Jesus. Let me read Luke chapter 1, 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Now, I want you to listen to those words. What's John the Baptist going to do? And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. He's going to speak for God. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. All right, that's his mission. Uh, it is clear that is his mission. Here's the question. How do you prepare people for Jesus? If you are given the task, go prepare people for Jesus. With the task he had, how is he supposed to prepare people for Jesus? Now, I thought about ways he could do that. Uh, he could say, hey, do you remember God's promise to send a Messiah? And he could talk about all those accounts. Remember what we've been taught. You know what our forefathers have told us. And so he could have reminded them of God's promise to send the Messiah. He could have shown them where Jesus is the answer to Old Testament um, prophecy. Uh, the, the gospel of Matthew is going to do a bunch of that, but he could say, well, hey, he was going to be born in Bethlehem. He is. Hey, he's going to be a descendant of David. He is. Hey, he's going to be a descendant of Abraham. He is. He could have gone through and said, let's look at all the ways that he answers Old Testament prophecy. That could have been another way. He could have had religious services. He could have had, had services to encourage people to be ready. Uh, there are all sorts of ways that you might prepare people for the coming of Christ. Now, we're going to see some of those. But the actual answer to this is a very profound answer. All right, go back to why is a Messiah coming? Why is a Savior needed? Now, some of these folks have already gotten it wrong. They're looking for a ruler, for a military leader, for somebody to come and, and push out Rome. 
And so they say, well, the reason we need a Savior is because Rome is, is over-impressing over us. Uh, the reason we need a Savior is because we need someone to be a great king the way David one time was. They've already missed that. Why do they need a Savior? People needed a Savior for the remedy for their sin. So um, a Savior is promised. Why do they need a Savior? It's to be a remedy for their sin. Uh, they had had the Old Testament law, which shows them, man, I keep sinning. I keep messing up. I've got great intentions. I can't keep this law. I need a remedy for my sin. They also had the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so it had pointed to, there's got to be a covering of blood. By the remission of the remission of sin only comes to the shedding of blood. And so the sacrificial system had also reminded them of that. Sin was the issue. The Messiah was coming as the remedy for sin. As I was writing that up, I was thinking about several years ago, uh, during the Christmas time, I, I came up with the saying, the reason for the season is sin. And the remedy for the reason is Jesus. Now, why is he born? Because we need a Savior to remedy our sin problem. Okay, so let's think about all of that. Why do we need a Savior? Sin. Why is he promised to come and save us? Because we have a sin problem. So, now follow this. To prepare people for Jesus, you point out sin. You show them the, the problem of sin. So John the Baptist comes and he pointed out sin, and he called them to repent. See, see your sin, uh, see your offense to God, and turn from your sin and repent. So the way that he, he showed people the need for Christ is to preach repentance, to point out their sin, to call them to repent. Um, a people that see and understand their sin will start to look to Christ as the answer for that sin. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you, that, that is a very interesting thing because that's what he did. He comes and he preaches about sin. He calls them to repent. And in seeing that, they're supposed to say, oh yeah, hey, our Messiah is coming as the Savior for sin. Here's the interesting thing. That still holds true today. How do you call people to Jesus today? How do you prepare people to receive Jesus today. It has not changed. You point out sin, uh, you call sin, sin, and then you hold up Jesus as the remedy for sin. Now, I, I, I want to tell you, we live in a day when churches have decided they will not talk about sin. Churches do not talk about sin. There's churches that'll say uh, in their belief set, that's not our deal. We're not going to talk about sin. There's churches that are not talking about sin. They're, 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 they're staying away from that. There's churches that change what sin is. And so if God has called this a sin, well, let me give you a different interpretation. Let me give you a modern view of that. And they change uh, what sin is. There are churches that have decided to overlook sin. Uh, there are churches, I believe, that have decided to make people comfortable in their sin. So instead of saying, hey, this isn't the best. Hey, this is a sin. Hey, this is not going to end well for you. They just overlook it. Hey, it's all right. We're not going to talk about it. And here's the deal. In doing that, they cause people to miss Jesus. I, I was thinking about that this afternoon. How many churches are holding up a version of Jesus 
that is not the version of the Jesus that matches our gospel. And, and let me explain that. Jesus, the teacher. Man, you want to have godly wisdom? You want to know godly wisdom? Then go to Jesus, the teacher. And that church is preaching Jesus, the teacher. Or Jesus, the miracle worker. He did this. He did that. He can do this for you. You don't have to be sick. And Jesus is the miracle worker. Or Jesus as the model. He's your model. He's your example. If you just live like Jesus, and he's the, the, the model. Uh, Jesus, the prosperity giver. If you, you won't be poor and you shouldn't be poor, and he's going to give you prosperity. And they hold up those versions of Jesus. And what they're doing by, by doing that is they're causing people to miss the Jesus of the gospel, the remedy for sin, uh, the payment for sin, the relief for a person condemned and stuck guilty in their sin. Here's what John the Baptist did. You got to repent. Here's sin. He prepared him to see the Savior that's going to come for sin. It is the same today. How do you prepare people to see Jesus? You have to talk about sin. I'm going to read Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was Tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Tractodonius and Lysanias was Tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God, remember he's going to be a prophet, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Remember he was going to be a voice crying out in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make way the, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain will, and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So he begins saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he, would, and he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse them falsely and be content with your wages. Now, I want you to see he starts to convict them of sin. Now, notice everybody's sin wasn't the same. The tax collectors wasn't the same as the soldier. He starts to say, hey, if, if you're not being generous, be generous. Hey, if you've robbed people of money, don't rob people of money. Hey, if you haven't been content with your wages, be content with your wages. He starts to preach about sin, and their response is, what do we do? And he says, repent, turn from your sin, leave your sins. All right. Then to mark that, 
they were to follow with a baptism of repentance. As a sign of their sorrow over their sin, as a sign of their acknowledging their sin, as a sign of their change of heart, they were baptized in a baptism of repentance, showing the, 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 the inward change in their heart. All right, we're going to stop right there. We're going we're gonna to catch back up with that in a few weeks when we get to the baptism of Christ, of Jesus. But I, I wanted to stop here for a second and just think about baptism. So what is baptism? We're going we're to talk about it a couple more times in our study, uh, but this is a good starting place because for the first time in the New Testament, we have the introduction of baptism. Uh, as he called for people to see their sin, repent of their sin, uh, the gospel accounts tell us that he baptized them as a sign of the sorrow over their sin and their desire to repent. That, that's why it's called a baptism of repentance. All right, now I want you to see a couple things. First off, John the Baptist does not start the Baptist church. I've heard people say, well, he's the first uh, member of the Baptist church. He does not actually start the Baptist movement. It was a different understanding of baptism. And so he is baptizing, but it's not our, what we would call our New Testament understanding of baptism. Uh, this account does show us the first events, the first happenings of baptism in the New Testament. And let me explain why this is happening. Most likely this goes back to the book of Leviticus. In the book of Leviticus, when somebody became a convert to Judaism, uh, there's two separate places that they had a ceremonial washing. Ceremonial. It didn't actually do anything. It was a signifying of, of their desire uh, to, to worship the one true God of Judaism. Uh, most likely that is the star of this picture, the star of this understanding. Uh, so now the New Testament opens up. He is saying, here's your sin. Repent of your sin. Be sorrowful over your sin. And as an outward sign of that, they were to be baptized. Now let me talk to you about that. That would require humility. I am a sinner. I have a sin problem. That would require obedience. I have to do it. It says that's the call here. And then here's the thing. It is highly visible. Um, you could say, hey, John, pretty good message you preached today. I'm going to start working on my sin. Now, that's a different thing than being a Pharisee and walking into the water, being a rich tax collector, being a, a person somebody thought a lot of, and going out and being baptized. It was highly, highly visible. So this is an act, outward act that is a demonstration of an inward attitude of the heart. I'm sorrowful over sin. I'm admitting my sin, and it's visible. I want people to know about it. All right. The act is going to remain the same. It's still in the river by immersion, but the meaning is going to change again. And so we're going to talk about that coming up. Uh, this did not save anybody. This didn't wash anybody's sin away. It was a symbolic, like the ceremonial cleansing in Leviticus. It is a signifying of my desire to repent and to walk with God in obedience. Uh, it's going to change again. It's going to be an outward picture of an inward change of a desire to repent, but now a repentance that turns um, in faith to Jesus Christ. And so that's the start of our understanding of what baptism is. Uh, what should you get from that lesson? You ought to get this. God is faithful, and the, the New Testament starts with what he said he would do. He's already done it, 
and put into place as a remedy for us uh, in our sin. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going I'm to stop right there. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, and I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. Glad you're here. Dear Father, we come, and we're thankful, uh, number one, that you tell us what sin is, and you tell us how it hurts us, and you tell us how it's not best, and you tell us how it hurts you. And so I pray we would never shy away from saying what you have said is sin. But I'm also thankful that you're gracious, and you don't write us off, and you don't stomp us out, but you provide a remedy. You provide a Savior for us in our sin. Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the Messiah, uh, that John came to tell folks about. I pray, Lord, that we would be um, receptive of your truth. I, I pray for some that will hear tonight that haven't trusted you as their remedy. I pray in the, in the already unfolding of your plan that even at the first night uh, of, this, of this act in the New Testament that they would turn to you and they would trust you. I pray for us as believers that we will be encouraged that you are faithful, that you are gracious, that you are kind, that your plan unfolded and your plan included us and you wanted us to know Jesus. Lord, again, I pray for our kids. I pray for our youth. I pray for our homes. I pray for our parents. I pray for our, our, our town, our community. I pray for our schools as they, as they start back. Um, I pray for our church, Lord. Let us be a beacon of your truth, of your gospel. And then we tell you, Lord, you have blessed us. You've been gracious to us. And you've uh, walked with us. And you've never left us. And you've never forsaken us. And so we do worship you on this night. We tell you we love you. And we praise you and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.